Hi everybody and welcome to Two Off The First for today. It is January the 30th, 2023. I am Ryan Balangie. Good to have you with us. We are presented by our friends at French Lake Resort in French Lake, Indiana. Hope you had a great weekend. Lovely weekend of golf that extended longer than normal because of the Monday finish in Dubai and started a little bit sooner because of the Saturday finish at Torrey Pines. Lots to talk about. We have to distill it down to a couple of things. We have plenty to work with to do that. You can get a hold of me, Ryan at thegolfnewsnet.com. Or on whatever social media service you'd like to follow me, at Ryan Ballingy. I uh, will forewarn you that I talk about my kids a lot on Instagram. So if you want golf stuff, go to Twitter. That's at, at Ryan Ballingy. If you want to find out about my life for whatever reason, that's that's probably the better place to go is Instagram. Okay, two things to talk about. We have to start with Patrick Reed, and we have to start with the Dubai Desert Classic. We have to start with Treegate and Teagate and the, the final round that was also interesting. And I will preface all of this by saying... Patrick Reed seems to play his best golf when he's the most controversial. When when everything is up against him, he plays his best golf. And he played really good golf on Monday. And he gave Rory McIlroy an incredible challenge in the final round of the Hero Dubai Desert Classic on the DP World Tour. He could have very easily won the tournament. And and really, he probably shouldn't have won the tournament because we'll talk about Treegate and Teagate. Well, Treegate was the problem other than Teagate. And... It still was a really entertaining watch. I hope you got to watch some of it. Replay, I think, will be aired another time today on One Golf Channel. I saw it this morning, and it was a great finish with McElroy birdieing the 71st and 72nd holes in fairly dramatic fashion to win the tournament by one. And then you had a good finish behind that as well with uh, Lucas Herbert and Callum Shinkwin. I mean, it was, it was a good tournament, really enjoyable to watch. And Rory McElroy gets his first Rolex Series win. But let's talk... First about Treegate, and then maybe we'll touch on Teagate since that's several days old. So let's talk Treegate. If you didn't see it, you have, yeah, I mean you have yesterday. You have Patrick Reed on the 17th hole at Emirates Golf Club. It is a drivable green. It's not that long of a hole. You can either kind of lay up to a fairway that is angled off of the tee box that creates a mini dogleg of sorts, or you can be extremely aggressive, try to go over or to the right of and draw off of a cluster of three or four trees. I think it's three trees that kind of make up the corner of this imagined dog leg. If you cut, if you go over or around, you have a chance to drive the green, maybe make an eagle, but almost certainly going to make a birdie. It, it's an exciting hole. Actually, in a lot of ways, Emirates Golf Club reminds me of TPC Scottsdale, where it's not the best architectural golf course in the world, but it sure is exciting, and it's fun to watch play. So... Patrick Reed hits his tee shot, 17th hole, winds up going clearly into a palm tree. There's three palm trees in this this cluster, and the TV cameras pick it up really well, and they show Patrick Reed's ball clearly going into palm tree number one. If you're looking at it from the TV camera angle, it's the one to the right. And then there are two to the left, one back, one closer. Well, Reed comes towards his this area to try to find his ball. He recognizes it's probably in a tree. You've got an official with the European tour. You've got a couple of them. You've got spotters slash marshals there. And they say, oh, the ball went into a different tree. And so they wind up barking up the wrong tree, so to speak. They look up the tree. And under the rules of golf, if you can positively identify your golf ball in the tree, and you have a couple of different ways of doing that, then you can say, well, there's my ball take an unplayable lie from up in the tree, directly straight down to the ground, and then you get your relief off of that. But 
you have to positively identify your ball. And you can do that in one of basically three ways. One, you can climb the tree and pluck it out and go, here it is. That's not happening in a palm tree. You could also identify it based on a, variety, a couple of different sets of characteristics. So you could say, okay, I mark my ball this way. And then when you spot a ball with your make and model, there it is. Or you can have playing partners help verify. There's a bunch of different options available to it. But ultimately, Reed and the officials were looking up at the wrong tree. And Reed then says, oh, well, that's my ball. I see the arrow on it, implying that he had an arrow mark on the ball. And he describes it to the officials, and they are satisfied that he has positively identified the ball. And they gave him relief. Well, not only did they give him incorrect relief because that wasn't the right tree, he was closer to the hole because he was at the wrong tree. And he didn't have to take a stroke and distance penalty, which is what he would have had to do if he couldn't find the ball and positively identify it because then it would be lost. Even though you know where it is, you can't identify it. You have to go back to the tee, take the penalty, and you're hitting three from there. He also had the option, by the way, if he had found the ball, of climbing up the tree and playing it. Obviously, that's not really going to happen with a palm tree, but that is an option under the rules of golf. You can play the ball out of a tree if you wish. We've seen Sergio Garcia, among others, do it over the years. It's crazy, but you can do it. Um, so then Reed winds up making bogey, and I think he's four shots down after 54 holes. The tournament obviously had third round on Sunday because of torrential rain, of all things, in Dubai. And Reed talks afterwards like he was 100% on board with what had happened. It was 100% his ball, that he wouldn't have done anything different uh, uh, you know, than what he did. If it weren't his ball, he absolutely would have gone back to the tee and hit three and all this stuff. But then you see the footage of it. And it's clear from the folks at the DP World Tour Productions that they're showing the ball going into that first tree. There's almost zero chance that the ball went backwards and then around, like a Zapruder film, like back into the right, to then go into the tree in front of it. It's physically almost impossible for that to have happened. So they wound up looking in the wrong tree. But because it's a scenario about getting the proper ruling, if you get a bad ruling from an official, it's still the ruling, and you have to go with that. So that's why he wasn't disqualified, that's why he didn't get a bigger penalty, but just the the discussion with which he had with the official, and then with whatever media was there after the fact that, oh yeah, this is definitely my ball, you know, this is, this is mine, and, and it wasn't, I mean, it just wasn't. Now here's the thing, if you look at a close-up of the ball that he wound up playing the rest of the hole with, you can see there's a, a fairly common marking involved. And it's a kind of a black line, and it looks like it maybe it's over the uh, Titleist-provided marking that, you know, or the provided marking on the side of the ball. And a lot of players will just draw an arrow over that, whatever color they wish. It's more common than you think. There are a lot of common styles of marking. That's one of them. So... It's possible he saw exactly what he said he saw and thought, hey, that's mine. That is absolutely plausible. But now we know he's looking up the wrong tree, so he wasn't identifying his ball. And at some point in the process, you think, oh, there has to be some kind of consequence for that. But the rules of golf allow for this kind of leeway, and that's just kind of the reality of it. And the same thing is true when you're talking about dropping from a red stake hazard. It used to be called a lateral hazard. If you don't have clear evidence as to where the ball crossed the margin of the hazard last, 
you're technically making an improper ruling. But if you and your playing partners agree on a on a pin position or a pin a point where you drop a position where you crossed and you make the drop from there, that's it. That's the end of it. If, if there's nothing to really scrutinize about it and the players agree, then you're good. And that's the end of it. So that's why Patrick Reed didn't get DQ'd or forced to add another stroke or anything like that. And it just makes him look bad because everyone involved that wasn't on the ground knew the tree that he was looking up was wrong. And Brandel Chambly and Golf Channel did a great job of kind of breaking it all down in somewhat mocking fashion. I mean, I, I think it was pretty evident from anyone watching on TV what had happened. But then you always get in your mind with Patrick Reed because of past incidents. Is there malice? Is there is this intentional? Or is it just kind of weird happenstance that this always happens to him? And I don't know the answer to that. But it is a question that comes up a lot. And it just so also happens that Rory McIlroy, a guy who's so very much public front and center and anti-live, is watching him do this. And then he probably doesn't know the entire circumstance around it. But McElroy had an interesting ruling earlier in the in the day about margin and where you drop. And that's why I kind of bring that up about the realities of having to have your players agree with you and the information that you have versus that you have off the TV. If you have a TV camera there, there's a lot to digest there. But it just, McElroy has defended Reed. A couple of different times over the years regarding rules-related incidents or his personality. He's been not quite neutral about Patrick Reed in total, but overall generally pretty classy about it, I think. And I think that even goes more into what happened earlier in the week with McElroy not really wanting to acknowledge Reed on the, the practice tee. And I, I will keep this brief because this is a few days old, but I firmly believe Patrick Reed went into that situation thinking one of two things was going to happen. One, he was going to get into a physical or verbal altercation with Rory McIlroy, and McIlroy would look bad because he took the bait. Or, Reed was going to get a positive rub because McIlroy would stand up and shake his hand, even though Reed's attorney served McIlroy with a subpoena in an unrelated lawsuit to Patrick Reed on Christmas freaking Eve. So, there's no reason for McIlroy to be nice to Reed, knowing the association Reed has to his attorney even if he didn't directly hand him the subpoena and what isn't directly involved in this lawsuit that Larry Klayman has filed. But the reaction that McElroy gave was pretty well spot on. I mean, he knew it couldn't work out either way. McElroy's a pretty smart guy. He knew it wouldn't work out either way. And he probably knew in the back of his mind, in that moment, the best thing he could do was ignore the guy. Because then in that case, Reed doesn't get what he wants, either in terms of a positive affirmation or a negative situation. The best thing you can do is be as neutral as you can, and that means saying nothing. And I know some people took that as an opportunity to slam McElroy, but if you ever got sued by somebody's attorney and they walked up to you in public and wanted to make good, I, I don't think you would react much differently than McElroy would. I, I'm pretty certain you wouldn't react a whole lot better. Uh, I will cop to that as a human being. I definitely wouldn't. So I, I think that worked out as about as well as it could for McElroy and Reed really had nothing to lose there. So I guess it worked out pretty well for him also. So great tournament, really interesting to watch and a good Monday finish. Nice little way to start the week. Uh, if you're, if you're at home instead of at work or if you're working from home now to our second story, and this is also tournament related and some great, great finish to the farmer's insurance open 
Sam Ryder didn't get the job done. I know there were a number of people out there in the, in the Twitter world who had 301 tickets on Ryder. And uh, I, I wish you all the luck in the world. I, ho I hope that it would work out for you. You don't get that very often these days. If you go back really throughout calendar 22 and 23 so far, we have not really had any kind of significant long shot win. Uh, you know, Maybe a spare one here or there at the PGA Tour, but it is not frequent these days. And so it would have been really interesting for Sam Ryder to, to get the win. But instead, Sam Ryder makes some early mistakes. John Rahm never gets going, makes an early bogey, and then just falls down from there. And then here's Max Homa to walk right through that door and win his sixth PGA Tour title. He's won five times in his last 46 starts. He is a guy that you have to expect to be a contender week to week now. I said this last year, I think I tweeted it, that if you ever saw Max Homa at odds worse than 40 to 1 or 45 to 1 or 51, I forget what the number is, somewhere in that range, you had to bet him because that was disrespectful to his game if you didn't bet him in that number. That number now might be 30 because he has clearly recognized how to win on the PGA Tour. He is a guy that is not afraid of the moment. And I think the thing that was most interesting to me, and I'll tie this back to McElroy a little bit, is that he learned how to play Torrey Pines, Max Homa did. And he said after the fact that he's learned how to play this golf course and knows that statistically speaking, wherever you miss it, Torrey Pines is penalized about the same because the rough is very deep, the course is very long. It doesn't matter if you miss into three inch or four inch rough by a yard or 50. So long as you can play the ball, the penalty is probably about the same. So you know you're going to make a lot of bogeys and potentially double bogeys over the course of 72 holes and three rounds on the south course. Knowing that if you can keep the ball in play and just keep your chin up and take advantage of those opportunities, you're going to give yourself a chance to win. And unfortunately for Ryder, he put himself in a couple of positions he just couldn't put himself in in the final few holes. And that cost him the golf tournament. And it's really hard to win for your first time on the PGA Tour. It's hard to win, period. But I think it's a little bit easier from, from Max's perspective because he didn't have all the pressure of the day going into it. He played very well. And he just kind of walked past everybody as they stumbled trying to, to get to the finish line and win this tournament. So congratulations to Max Homa. Obviously, he knows that the next step for him is to do this in major championships. He's never really had any kind of high-quality major championship finish. Everyone now knows that the guy has won six times on the PGA Tour. He can win. He can do big things. It's now translating that to some of the most difficult tournaments. And I think this portends well, potentially, portends well, potentially, for Homa this season because Torrey Pines, obviously, is a major championship venue, a couple of U.S. Opens. And it's one of those golf courses, again, where you have to learn how to be patient. You have to know that you're going to drop strokes, as he mentioned, you have to know to keep the ball in play to give yourself a chance, as he mentioned. He's learning how to play championship golf, and I think he can take what he did this week and start to translate it to other major championships. Not saying he's going to win the Masters or anything crazy like that, but maybe this is the start of something for him that's bigger than, no offense to winning PGA Tour events, but getting into major championship contention uh, at all, much less on the reg and giving himself a chance to win one. And... It goes back, I'll tie this back to McElroy in this way. McElroy said this week was really mentally taxing and difficult for him because of the emotional side of things. And because he got so riled up about, frankly, Reed and the live guys being in the field. And there's going to be an arbitration case. I think it's next week that starts between the, the DP World Tour and live. So that's hanging over the, he the heads of the players involved in both sides. Because this could be the end of 
Live players competing on the DP World Tour as sanctioned by the DP World Tour if they win that hearing. It's going to take a week to do the hearing and then weeks to find out. So it's probably going to be March, if not just before the Masters, before we have that that really solved. But that's hanging over their heads because you've got the Live season starting up in a few weeks in uh, Mayakoba in Mexico. So they're going to probably be more focused on that than playing on the DP World Tour. You've got just a, a natural amount of emotion toward Patrick Reed, I think. But... McElroy had to find a way to, to kind of compartmentalize all of that and decide that he wasn't going to play into his emotions, that he was just going to try to play golf and see what happened instead of trying to get fired up and worried about what Reed was doing or anyone else was doing and then find a way to win the golf tournament. He did that, and he said he didn't have his best stuff. And I think that's the second winner in a row between Rom and McElroy who said they have figured out how to win without their best stuff that they can play smart golf, they can use their natural talent, their natural power and capability, and they can be better than pretty much everybody else if they don't mess up. And he got some fortunate breaks, obviously almost went in the water on 18 by, what, a foot, foot and a half, and stayed dry, but then played smart, got to a good number, set himself up with a decent birdie putt, and ultimately executed making that birdie putt to win the golf tournament. And I would kill to know what... (laughs) Rory McIlroy said to his caddy, Harry Diamond, after the win. Because they were they were whispering to each other uh, or talking in each other's ear. And I, I know that Harry Diamond and McIlroy said that, oh, well, now they get to wear the gold bib because they've won a, a Rolex Series event for the first time together. But I kind of have a feeling some other things might have been said there. And, and I, I would have loved to have, have known that. If that could make the PGA Tour documentary for next season, I very much appreciate it. I know it's not a PGA Tour event, but... If we could have some cameras on that kind of stuff, it'd be great to know uh, what's said in those moments. But then you have Homa, again, winning the Farmers Insurance Open, trying to figure out how to be a, a player that doesn't always have his best stuff, but can figure out just enough to win. And those things start piling up. And, th- and that's why you have this kind of era that we're in where you have Tony Fina have a run and Scotty Scheffler make a run and Max Homa make a run. And you start to build up these superstars that are guys that went from really nice to follow stories fun on social media or, or what have you. And now they're legit stars and contenders every week. And you, you know, we kind of worry about this in golf where what are we going to do when Tiger goes away? And we had this problem in 2015 and 16 when Tiger's back injuries made it seem like he was never going to play serious competitive golf again. And you built up stars. You built up Jordan Spieth. You built up Dustin Johnson. You built up Rory McIlroy. And then you kind of had your... Brooks kept a couple of years and you, know, you had that stuff. You had those players that were built up and then Tiger came back and they kind of competed against him. Well, now you're building up another generation of stars with it. Frankly, Woods to the sidelines and probably on the way out. Generally speaking, that's a little bit more of a difficult task for the PGA Tour to do and for golf to do is to build these superstars up. But when they keep winning like this, it kind of solves itself. It kind of solves its own problem. So, You've got this crop of players now that are so good, and you've got so many of them. It it, it really makes it an enjoyable spirit, experience to watch as a fan. So I hope you got to enjoy both those tournaments, one finishing on Saturday, one finishing on Monday. Just a couple more things to bring to your attention. Uh, we don't have an LPGA event this week. We won't see them again for another, what, three weeks uh, was they start their first Asian swing of the year. But they did announce today they are going to do a 10-episode docuseries called drive on LPGA All Access. It'll be on YouTube, their website. I would love to say we're going to work out something with them to put it on GNN. I, I hope that we can. I would love to do that. 
but uh, it'll definitely be on those two platforms, YouTube and LPGA.com. It looks like it's going to be really interesting. I'm very happy for them. I've said for years to them and in, you know, allowed in public to anyone who would listen is that the LPGA needs to do a better job of telling its own stories because frankly, there just aren't enough of us in the media that can do it. And I wish there were, but you know, I'm one of like four or five people who regularly cover the LPGA and that's just not enough. And so they need to put resources to work to tell their own stories. And I think this is a great example of doing that the right way. The, the, put the uh, the trailer up on my Twitter at Ryan Ballinger. You can watch there on the LPGA's website as well. On their Twitter, they have it too. And I, I look forward to get more information about that when that's all going to pre, uh, premiere for you. And, and we'll talk about that at a later date. We do have a Asian tour event that is ostensibly a live event this week with the Saudi International. The one player that's in this field that I think has a lot of people's attention is Mito Pereira. He did sign up to play. He is going to be in the next event in Oman in the International Series. Seems to suggest he's going to live. Um, we'll see what happens there, but I, I think the reports about that are, are probably pretty spot on. All right, that's going to do it for us today on Two Off the First. Thank you so much for watching or listening to the show. If you have a chance and listen to us on a podcast platform, give us a nice review, leave a comment. Helps us reach more people. Same thing on any video service that you catch us. We appreciate that too. We will talk to you tomorrow with another episode of Two Off the First. Have a great one, everybody.